Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. My name is Carlo Gusilatar. I'm one of the student ministry leaders here at Paseo del Rey, and thanks. It's always, a, it's always like, yeah, pump up. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm so stoked to open up the word um, with you all this morning. Um, I'm excited to be diving into our passage um, and spending time looking at the words of Jesus as he teaches us through the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm excited, but it didn't start out that way. I didn't start out excited. Um, sometime in early January, Gary texted me and said, hey, I've got some good news for you. I was like, what could it be? Um, maybe a jump in, in our youth budget or, or maybe a church credit card. Um, I could do damage. Um, maybe he finally approved the, the proposal for, for the Starbucks in the room next to my office. Um, but it didn't turn out to be those things. I kept trying to tell him how productive, more productive I could be. Um, but he's like, hey, do you got five minutes? Let's chat. And I'm like, oh, man, what is it? What is it? And he goes, hey, we would love for you to teach. And I'm like, oh, not Starbucks. But um, having the opportunity uh, to bring God's word, to teach God's word to God's people for the glory of God, um, it's, it's, it's a pleasure. And then he said, hey, we're opening up Matthew 5. And he told me my verses. 27 through 30, and I was like, dang it, Um, because I open it up and I look, and it's the passage on adultery and lust, (laughs) Um, and and, and I was nervous, and I was unsure, but but I told him, okay, Um, but but through the process of preparing, like always, any time that we dive deep into God's word, God is good, and he does a good work in us, and so that's what I want for us this morning. But that tends to be our response and reaction, though, as Christians, right? Uh, We kind of tiptoe, and it's a little bit awkward when we start talking about lust. Um, Like, I just think about in growth groups, um, we're going around, and hey, share a time you were angry, or hey, share a time you were afraid, or hey, share a time you were anxious, or hey, share a time where you struggled believing something that God said. And, you know, we're more than apt to share that. And then question comes up about lust, and we're not as quick to jump in. All of a sudden, we become good theologians on on the theology of lust and what it meant in the Old Testament and how our culture and this, never really wanting to address us, we just kind of talk around it, right? And we don't like to talk about the hard things, the awkward things, but this morning as we open up, I pray that we would have uh, the opportunity to take a deep look at our hearts, Um, not the person next to us or family, but a deep look at our own hearts. And so let's go ahead and see what Jesus has to say for us this morning. Uh, You can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew 5, um, verse 27 to 30. And whoever's the first one to get there can yell out the page number, because we do that in student ministry. 969. Perfect. Go ahead and open up to 969, and we'll get reading. Matthew 5, 27. So last week we looked at anger, and today Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. 
But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And so you've heard it said, you should not commit adultery. And your initial thoughts like mine and many others, and even for them then listening to the words of Jesus, um, when we think of adultery, is a married man or woman having sexual relations outside of what God says is marriage? And you'd be right. Uh, marriage, which is a man and a woman being joined together, and the Bible says becoming one flesh. And the breaking of that covenant in adultery is considered an extremely serious offense. Not only do you sin yourself personally, um, which originally in Leviticus and Exodus was punishable by death, um, but you've also brought someone else into, uh, into that sin, which they, they would have been put to death as well. And don't forget that you've broken that marriage covenant before, covenant before God, and then you've also sinned against your spouse. It's wrecking. It's some serious stuff. Adultery was a serious grievance then, and even though we're not dying on the spot for it right now, uh, it's still, it still is a grievous offense today. In 2015, um, there were a number of headlines that had come out uh, in the news surrounding adultery and sexually immoral actions committed by known people. Um, there was this huge data dump that happened um, when a hacker group got access to login credentials and personal info and credit card information for a website called Ashley Madison. Um, you probably remember hearing about it. Gary brought it up. I think Gary or Derek brought it up um, when they were preaching that weekend when it happened. Um, but for those of you who don't know, uh, Ashley Madison is a website that touts itself as being the place to have an affair. They even have a guarantee package that you can, you can purchase and sign up for. Have an affair today on Ashley Madison. Thousands of cheating wives and cheating husbands sign up every day looking for an affair. With our affair guarantee package, we guarantee you'll find the perfect affair partner. And what a day that was. Such a sad day that brought to the forefront of our culture, the, the adultery, the infidelity, and, and unfaithfulness that we deal with. And as sad as, as it was to see for our world, all the more a sad day for God's people because in that data dump, there were pastors and prominent Christians that were also outed. 2015 also saw uh, Bill Cosby, childhood comedian, had a show, uh, allegations of him and the women that he sexually assaulted. There was Jared Fogle, who was the subway spokesman, Josh Duger, who was from 19 Kids and Counting, um, and he, says he's a, he said he's a Christian, and he was a prominent Christian figure, and he was an advocate for marriage and the family, and this year, Harvey Weinstein, and, and it's angering, and it's shameful, and it's disgusting. And it's easy to stand outside of all that happened and say, I would never do that. How could they do that? How can someone be so blank? At least I didn't do that. And then Jesus goes on. And Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus says, lustful intent equals adultery. And that's something that we got to wrestle with. Like, really? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that what we think and our desires 
actually mean it's, it's just as bad as me going out and doing that? Your thoughts make you just as guilty as what you've done. And so I want to pause for a moment now, and, and I just want to pray, and I just want to ask um, the Holy Spirit to help us as we walk through this next verse, because what I don't want is for us to just point fingers at them or point fingers at one another. What I want for us is to take a look at our own hearts and ask God to help us see the areas that we fall short, especially in relation to lust. So let me pray. Jesus, we just ask, God, um, that we would take this time now. Um, yeah, God, to just bring our hearts um, to you, God, that you would help us to see, Lord, um, where we fall short, God. Help us not to just point the finger, but God, help us to um, look at our own hearts, God, because you don't bring this up and you're not pointing people out, God. Uh, it's everyone there who hears, God, that falls short. And so would you help us? as we walk through these next verses, Lord, um, to really take a deep look at us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want us to see and I want us to understand what, what lust is. Um, looking through the definitions of it, it's this. To lust is, is to set the heart upon. It's, it's having a desire for, a longing for, a coveting, a yearning to possess, to have. Um, and for the purpose of kind of moving on the rest of the way. I'm going to be using the word desire a lot. And so Jesus says, everyone who looks at a woman desiring her, setting the heart upon her, longing for her, yearning to have her, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus tells them, you've had a narrow view of what you thought adultery was. You think it's just about what you do or don't do, where you're, but it's also where your mind and where your heart are at. That's why in our next passage, Jesus says, cut off the eye and then the hand. What we see has a correlation with what we act out. But we're going to go ahead and we'll get to that a little bit later. Jesus says here that our minds lust and our hearts commit adultery. And Jesus isn't pointing people out in the crowd. Jesus is setting the crosshairs on everyone, every single individual who hears his word. Quickly, I just want to um, talk about what Jesus isn't talking about. Um, it's not that look of admiration or appreciating beauty um, towards your spouse or if you're a single, potential dating prospects. Like I just think about when uh, me and Michaela were dating, um, you know, and I saw her and, and she looks good. But I'll tell you real quick, it's a fine line to walk. It's a fine line to walk because there were times too that I lusted after her when we were just dating. And Jesus says that's just as grievous as committing adultery. It's a fine line, especially for the guys. And I remember when I first became a believer and started coming to Paseo, Gary likened guys' minds to a camera, taking snapshots. It's that quick. And the more I thought about the analogy, I was like, it's true. But it's not the initial look that's incriminating. It's the second helping to what's not yours that makes you guilty the double take and the replaying of it in your mind over and over again. In those moments, we desire what's not ours to desire. And the funny part, and funny is probably not the right word, um, but the interesting part is that people then would have been so quick to scrutinize and bring people to justice for adultery, 
right? You, you did it or you didn't. You got caught or you didn't. You're guilty or you're not. And that's what people held high as the standard. But Jesus says here, desiring someone that isn't your spouse, what he says about that, that's not new either, actually. It's part of the Ten Commandments. Uh, they would have known that. But, but they held high one thing over another. Um, let me go ahead and read Exodus 20, 17 here. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that's your neighbor's. He's calling out their penchant to hold high one thing rather than another. And, and, and that's our tendency to do as well, if we can be honest. Right? So as you're sitting through and as you're listening, hey, if I'm not married, this doesn't apply to me. Well, since I'm already engaged and committed to be married and headed that way, then what's actually wrong with getting a head start? Well, since Jesus is definitely talking about men here, then he must not be talking about me. Since Jesus must be talking about looking at a woman in person, he must not be talking about me looking at a woman through a screen. Since Jesus is talking about real people, he isn't talking about that person who I've made up in my mind as I read my romance novels. Since Jesus is just talking about lust in a sexual form, that doesn't mean he's calling out my desire for my spouse to be like that other person that I really like. When we hold one thing over another, we fall short. James 1 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Lust can take many forms in many ways, with a coworker, at the gym, with a random person walking down the street, with the model in the ad, with the image in the magazine, with that video on Facebook, with the person you read about in books, with that person on the movie or the TV show, with that person that you follow on social media, anyone with whom the Lord has not given you. In a world that says, hey, at least I didn't do that, Jesus says, even what you think gets you a ticket to hell. So what the heck are we to do? What are we to do? And Jesus goes on. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown in hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Anyone feeling great and encouraged yet this morning? <laughs> Such an encouraging message. But your thoughts your lusts, your desires will lead you straight to hell unless you lop off what causes you to sin. And again, we ask ourselves, seriously, is that what Jesus meant? Is Jesus really telling us to gouge out our eyes? Like, is he telling us to really cut off our hand? If this was the remedy that Jesus proposed and we really took it seriously, we'd already be walking around looking like the set of the walking dead. But if we're honest... The truth is, a lot of us would be lying to ourselves and everyone else around us, looking down on those who are missing limbs. At least I'm not like them. The lust of our eyes should cause us to gouge out our eyes. The acting out of lust through our hands should cause us, cause us to lop off our hands. 
Our walking to the source of lust causes us to lop off our legs, our lust in our mind, and a desire in our heart. What do we do with that? <sighs> Cut off what causes you to sin rather than your whole body be thrown into hell. See, the problem with that is even if we dismember ourselves, our imaginations still run rampant. The issue with us isn't just on the outside, the what we do or don't do. The problem is, is inside because, to be honest, if I don't have my right eye, I still have my left. Even if I don't have my right hand, I still have my left hand. My penchant to sin isn't based on the ability I have to sin. Rather, it's a deeper issue than what we can and can't do. The issue is my heart, our hearts. So what's Jesus saying then? Jesus says, extreme sin calls us to take extreme measures. Take it seriously. Do everything you can to stop, even if that means going to the lengths of dismemberment. And church history would show that there are people who really did take that seriously. Yeah, eunuchs who took that seriously. But we don't, I don't, and we really need to. We live in a different time um, nowadays um, where sex and the media, uh, they just go hand in hand. It's so in your face. Um, we're constantly confronted by sexual images from all around us where PG-13 meant such a different thing um, than when I was a kid than it does today, where shows on TV um, were a little less blatant to just show people in bed together. It's a different time, and maybe it's me. I don't know, maybe it was just when I was a kid, but, but it's a different time, and the exposure to all of it is so in our faces, and we really have to recognize that. I remember the first time I was exposed to it in sixth grade. Me and my cousin had come across a magazine that my uncle had left with all the other magazines, pictures of women clothed in lingerie. He had left it in the magazine rack where the yellow pages, the home garden magazine, and the cooking magazine were. And there amongst the magazines was my uncle's. And me and my cousin, we took it and we opened it up and we looked through and my uncle saw us, he took the magazine and brought it back to his room, and from that moment forward, things changed. I knew it was bad, and I wasn't even Christian, but I wanted it. So then, it was always the checking to see if anyone was around, if a room was unlocked, checking to see if he made the mistake of leaving it out again. It wasn't always readily available, not like the way things are today, right? Today, it's everywhere. It's on the billboards, on the magazine racks, on the TV networks, in the movies, in our pockets, on our phones, in the apps, on the ads in the apps. And our culture says, don't worry, this is normal. Jesus says, be aware so that we can take extreme measure. And it's not even geared towards just the men and the guys. Want to know how I know? There are movies that I, I probably wouldn't go and see. There's a Magic Mike 1, and there's a Magic Mike 2, and there's Fifty Shades of Grey and Fifty Shades Darker and Fifty Shades Freed, um, all movies that deal with sexual promiscuity. And it's not just geared towards the adults either. Uh, some of the students will question me on this, but Twilight was a big hit a few years ago. But it was this girl who had this intense desire to be with this guy that she shouldn't have been with. Video games have sexual content. I know your students talk about them. Social media has it. It's everywhere. Um, I was just curious to see, and I don't use Snapchat very often. I'm more of an Instagram guy. I post pictures of my kid, my truck, or my wife. Um, um, but, but Snapchat is this is popular social media app, and it's an app where you send videos that disappear, videos or pictures that disappear after a short amount of time. 
Um, but part of, uh, part of the, the draw there too is that they've got like the recent news headlines and they're not like CNN type headlines, right? When I was writing this, I was curious to see what the headlines would pop up, so I opened it up, swiped over to the right and read the headlines. And it's, you had top 10 plays in the NBA. You had, why are students walking out of classes? But along with those, you also had 11 kisses, so perfect, you'll think these pics are from the movies. You had top 10 actresses over 50 in bikinis. 11 of the most hilarious celeb naked moments ever. You had meet the world's hottest taxidermist, like, what? Culture says that this is a normal thing and that it's not a big deal. But Jesus says that we need to take extreme measures or that our lust will lead us to hell. And so hear me, hear me. I don't bring this up to tell you what you can and can't watch, uh, what apps you can and can't have, where you can go or not go, what Netflix shows you should or shouldn't watch. We're all different. Lust comes in different forms. We're tempted in different ways. But all I'm asking you to do is to bring your heart before God and ask him to show you where your struggles are at. And then just like Jesus, I ask you to take it serious. As serious as cutting off your hand or gouging out your eye. That means if you can't stop viewing the websites, block them. Do everything you can to get rid of them. Shoot, take your computer and toss it out if you need to, as if you went blind to them. If it's the social media app and the people you follow, Block those people as if you could not see them. If it's that place that you frequently visit, that you have issues with, stop going there as if you've cut off your feet. Because it's better for you to do that than your whole body be thrown into hell. Stop flirting with temptation, with lust. That lead us to those thoughts, that lead us to him, that lead us straight to hell. We need to take the sin of lust as serious as if that meant you were committing adultery. And Jesus tells us to take serious measure to keep from doing so. We're far worse off than we can begin to imagine. And Jesus shows us that it's not what we do. It's what we think and desire as well. Um, we, we've got this phrase that we've been using um, for our series, this, this do more, try harder. And I ask you, because we've asked our students, do you believe that that's what God is asking of you? Do you believe that God is just asking you to do your best and uh, God will take care of the rest? Because when we asked it, the truth is, we kind of think that's it. Do our best, forget the rest. Are you willing to stake the rest of eternity on that? Let me tell you what God actually demands. Two weeks ago, we learned that Jesus said your righteousness must exceed those of the Pharisee and the scribes or you will never enter the kingdom. And at the end of chapter 5 here in a few weeks, Jesus is going to tell us that you, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. God doesn't do more. God doesn't demand a do more, try harder kind of lifestyle. What God demands is perfection. And that's where we end in Matthew 5. We are far worse off than we could have ever imagined. And this is where we stand. But God, right? But God. So we won't end. I'll keep going. 
the Christian life at times seems like such a struggle to always do our best, to fight hard and just to give it all that we've got. And we're not perfect, and God should know that. God made me. For some, we fought the fight, and it felt like we lost. We feel the guilt. We feel the shame for always failing. And then it passes for a little bit until that sin comes up again. And then we rinse and repeat, and we go through that cycle over again. That's the way that I've always felt uh, with my struggles with sin and lust. And I've talked with many guys over the past eight years that I've been a Christian now, and the fight has been the same. We'd talk, we'd feel guilty, we knew we weren't supposed to do, give each other a few words of encouragement, read Bible verses, and then we'd go and we honestly, we'd make our do more, try harder list. Hey, let's be accountability partners. And that would work for at least two weeks, and then that would fail. We'd use apps to help curb the desires for a month maybe until the restriction needed, restriction needed to come off because I needed to download that app for school. We'd jump into a devotional together and that would last all of two chapters before things just got busy. We'd sign up for men's conferences so we could go be with the boys and do things that men do at men's conferences, like cry about our brokenness and our guilt and our shame, get in touch with our feelings. And maybe that was just me. But our tendency to just do more and try harder, it, it feels like a losing battle. Two years ago, um, I went with Paseo to a, uh, a men's conference. Um, yeah, it was about 20, uh, 20, what are we in, 18? Oh, it's almost three years ago now. Um, I went to Paseo to a men's conference at Pine Valley, um, and it was there that I caught wind of how to fight a different fight. Um, I went to the accountability seminar, and, and maybe some of you guys were there, and maybe some of you remember his name, but I don't remember the pastor's name. Um, he was a younger guy, but, but anyways, he shared this, this story uh, that really stuck with me and changed the way that I really, that I fight. Um, he used two Greek mythology stories to help illustrate a point he was making. And so... In Greek mythology, you had the sirens, and they were these creatures who were these part bird and, and, and part woman, and they lived on this island where they sang these beautiful songs, and those songs would entice the sailors uh, to come and to draw nearer and closer and closer, and their boats would hit the rocks, and their, 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 their boat would capsize. And so that's where we introduce uh, the first story, um, Odysseus. He was curious to see what the sirens sang. And so he, what he did on the advice of Circe, that uh, he would, the sailors would plug their ears with beeswax, they would tie him to the mast, and he ordered the men, no matter what I tell you, no matter what I say, don't untie me. And so they went and they crossed near the aisle and they heard the beautiful song and he went mad. He told the sailors to untie him, to let him go, and the sailors bound him tighter and tighter. And sometimes that's what it feels like trying to ward off sin. Just bind me tighter, more tactics, more do, more accountability. I don't really want to do this, but I, but I need it, but I don't want it, but I want that. I work hard, I fail, I press further. And we do everything we can. We try harder, we do more, we try harder, we do more. But that doesn't stop the enticing song of lust. It doesn't stop my mind or my imagination from running rampant. And so kudos to him for, for not succumbing to it. 
But that doesn't change the fact that his, his heart and his mind and his desire was to go, right? Just like we're talking about in our passions. It's tiring, and that's not freedom from it. The song of, stinks, the song of sin still rings clear in our minds, even if we don't physically do it. And Jesus wants us to go deeper than what we do and don't do. And so the second story. The pastor was telling us about Jason and the golden fleece. And so... Uh, Jason had to go get the golden fleece, and he, uh, he hired the greatest Lear player, the aid of this gentleman named Orpheus, and they got on their boat, and then as they passed the isles, the sirens, the same sirens encountered by Odysseus, the sirens sang their song, their beautiful song, and it enticed, enticed them. But here's the difference. Orpheus, when he heard the voice the voices, when he heard the song being played, he took out his lyre and he played music that says he was louder and more beautiful, drowning out the song of the sirens. It's a better song. It's what we need. We don't need just more to-do lists. We don't need more. Absolutely, we do everything we can, but that doesn't change the mind and the heart. We need a better song. We don't need just better tactics. And we have that better song in Jesus. We need the good news of Jesus. He is our better song. The good news, friends, is that Jesus lived the perfect life, the life that you and I don't live, not just can't live and we're going to continue to not live. He lived the perfect life that we didn't and can't. And Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And because, that he, because he lived the perfect life and because he took the punishment for our sin on the cross, God's wrath was poured out on him and not us. Jesus takes our punishment, and we get his righteousness, not just when you first accept Christ, but for always. We are made new. We are spotless. We are brought into right relationship with him. And this isn't just for the sin we've previously committed, but the sin that we're currently in and the sin that we're going to do down the road. He was the once and for all perfect sacrifice so that we can sit here on Sunday mornings and remind each other of the truth of who Jesus is, that even though we aren't perfect and that we're screwed and we're jacked up and we're messed up and we're broken, that Jesus isn't. And our righteousness falls on what he's done when we trust in that. So hear me because some of you might, might, might hear and think this is, is a lie and a sin. Someone pays the price for sin. And the wages of sin is death. And it's either you or Jesus. And so that's the beautiful song. The beautiful song that we need to hear is that Jesus has paid that price. We don't just sweep it under the rug. We don't just sit and go, oh, well, I'm, I'm messed up and broken and screwed. We set our mind on the things of Christ, that he took the price, that he paid the price. We don't just run to our guilt and shame, but we run to Jesus. That's what we tell your boys in student ministry. Because the tendency for us is when we fall short and when we fail and when we sin and we mess up, it's so quick, the guilt and shame to come through, and that's what we run to. But my hope and my prayer in this better song is that we are made new in Jesus. God has opened up something for us. Our hearts were meant for worship and to desire. Desire in and of itself isn't the bad thing. 
but he's opened up our eyes to desire something even greater, something more beautiful than what we struggle with. I want to read um, Ephesians, a passage out of uh, chapter 4. So on Sunday mornings, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount with your students um, upstairs as well. Um, They're down here right now with us. Um, but on Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Ephesians and we're looking at the, the, we're looking at identity. We're looking at identity with your students and, and catch this here. We haven't gotten here. So it's a little spoiler alert for my students. Um, Paul says this, now this I say, and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Hear this. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Where we were once only destined for hell and sin. At the end of chapter five, the Bible goes on and we have the cross and we have Jesus and Jesus tells us something new. And what we need to do is recognize what that newness is. We need a renewing of our minds because we're so quick to run to guilt and shame. We're not as quick to run to scripture and the new truth that Jesus has given to us. We're not. Think about the last time you messed up and you failed. We sit and the shame and the guilt and the hurt and the mess up and the screw up. And I'm such a screw up and I feel so, and God is so disappointed in me. My prayer is that just as quickly as we are to run to that, would we be even quicker to run to God's word and the truth of who he says he is and what he's done for us. That's the beautiful song. That's the new song. Anytime I think of uh, sin and I think of um, the falling short and the separation from God and man, there's a particular uh, verse in, in, in Genesis that I think of. It, it talks about, and God was walking in the garden in the cool of day. And I just, I just have this, just this imagery of God walking towards us. And isn't that what we want? We just want God's presence. We want to know that he's near and that he's here. But what happens next is that man hid because of his shame and guilt. And, but, and because of what Jesus has done, that, rest, that, that relationship with God is being restored. We are forgiven of what we mess up in. And that, and that relationship is being restored and reconciled, being made new every day. And then there's another part to that, right? You continue on, and man and woman, and they're blaming each other, and she's blaming the serpent, and, and, and it just unravels. 
And I really believe for us, Paseo, that as God is working on, on the relationship vertically between us and him, God wants to work that out for us as well in relationship to each other. That forgiveness, that restoration, that's why we're here on Sunday morning, so that we can remind each other of that. And so my hope and prayer is we can do that for our families as well. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short and we all sin. And the wages of sin is death. The good news is that Jesus paid the price. Through this process of working through, um, working through these passages, um, one of the best things to come out of it was honestly the conversations that I've been able to have with people, just open, honest conversations. That's that reconciling. That's that coming together. Shoot, I sat in Gary's office, and Gary's not here. He was there earlier. Um, but, but Gary, I sat in Gary's office, and just being open and honest with where I fall short and telling him, and him reminding me of the good news of who Jesus is. My boss, like my job depends on it, and I can talk to him. The other, the other thing is, is the conversations I've been able to have with my wife, right? That guilt and shame that drives us apart from the fall. God wants to restore that. And we've had open conversations where we've talked about it and where we've expressed to each other where we've fallen short. And it's not just me, but her as well. And I believe that God wants to do something there for us, Basel. That God doesn't just want us to walk out of here and just go, cool sermon. But I think God really wants to work some reconciliation and restoration for us and our families not just for husbands and wives, but for parents and their kids, for anyone who would call themselves brother and sister in Christ for each other here on Sunday mornings. That was my big, that was my big thing I was working through was, hey, I know what God does here, but what does he do here? It's the same thing, the rest restoration, the reconciliation, the forgiveness. And so my prayer is that this morning, as you're working through some things, maybe, maybe your first step is that you need to acknowledge that before God. And you need to be reminded of the, the truths of who God is. And maybe you're there, and you're like, you know what, I know this. I know it's not always perfect, but, but you know what? I've, I've been holding something back. I've been hiding something. There's something that has caused this in our relationships. My prayer is that it wouldn't just be when you get caught but that there would be an opportunity for restoration and reconciliation and forgiveness. And again, knowing that we all fall short of the glory of God, that we can be quick, not to the guilt and the shame, but, but to the word, the truth of what Jesus says because of what he's done. So I'm not asking you to go to lunch and have the conversation, okay? What I'm asking you is that you would take the words of Jesus seriously. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and I'm going to have the band come up, and man, these next two songs, man, just wrecked me. They're just so good, just full of truth. And so I pray that as we spend some time in worship that, man, you would work some of those things out, that you'd come before God. So let me pray. Jesus, we are so thankful for who you are and what you've done. 
God, that I, I pray that as we have a growing awareness of where we fall short, God, would we also have a growing awareness of how good you are and that your blood has covered and paid the price of what we've done. Jesus, we thank you that you bring us into right relationship with you, God, where there is no shame, where there's nothing in heaven or hell or on this earth that can separate us from your love. And Jesus, as we, as we work on that and as we see that, as we hear that, as we're reminded of what's true because of what you've done, God, I pray that there would be restoration in, in, our, in our horizontal relationships with those around us in families, God, here at Paseo, with our friends, with each other, God. And God, just as quick as we are to run to shame and guilt and to struggle, God, would we be all the more quicker to run to a better song, to play a better song, the truth of your word, what you've done. Thank you, Jesus, that the Bible doesn't end in Matthew 5 and that we sit here fully condemned. But God, that your Bible goes on, Lord, and that the cross is so beautiful. Jesus, that you took the price. You paid the price. So be with us as we spend some time now, God, just in, um, in worship and just, yeah, just coming before you. In Jesus' name, amen.